Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I've been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we're speaking with Gavin Erringer. Gavin is the author of Leaving the Wild, The Unnatural History of Dogs, Cats, Cows, and Horses. The book is an in-depth look at how our pet and barnyard animals left the wild in exchange for our care. Gavin takes a critical look at breeding, arguing that our values literally shape our animals for good and bad. Gavin, I'd like to welcome you to the show. Thanks, Stacey. I'm happy to be here again. Yeah, yeah. So it's wonderful to have you back again. We last spoke, boy, almost a year ago in episode number 155. So if folks were <laughs> are interested in finding out more about your background with regards to animals and how you got started and all that kind of stuff, I, I would definitely recommend folks go back. They can go to the communitycatspodcast.com, go in the search bar, just put in number 155 or Gavin, and that first podcast will, will come up. And when we spoke last time, you were in the, the heat of researching and writing this book, which has finally come out and is now published. So why don't you share with us more specific details on what this book is all about? Well, the book actually began almost five years ago. Uh, I, I got the idea to do a a book about how animals came to be domesticated, and uh, I started sort of doing the research even back then, and then I really intensified when I got a publisher last year, and so I went on the road, I actually bought an RV and went on the road to do a lot of the field research for the book. And when you caught up with me, I was in sunny San Diego, uh, then I went to Oregon and Washington, and I've been to California, Colorado, Oregon, Washington, Texas, Oklahoma, and quite a bit of traveling. But the gist of the book is really that, like as you said earlier, um, I think these animals willingly left the wild in exchange for our care, and that's been a wildly successful survival strategy for them. Um, when you look at the sheer numbers of cats and cows and dogs and horses living in the world, um, it's, it's been a very good thing from that perspective. But what I really wanted to do is drill down a little bit deeper and see what they got in return. And so that's that's sort of the drift of the whole book. So you looked at sort of the history of all of these different species, dogs, cats, cows, and horses. Did, did these animals like phase into our care at the same time or was it different times you know, in different centuries. Was that documented in the book? Yeah, every part of the book, there's, there's four sections. Each animal has its own section. And so it deals with their natural history, how they came to be domesticated. So there's sort of two components. There's a, a natural history component, uh, and then there's also a more modern-day component where I really, really look into uh, not only their their natural history, but the, their, their intersection with human life in, in modern times. And uh, I think that the main reason I did that was because I, I really wanted to have people gain an understanding of what it was that sort of were the forces behind these animals coming to live with us. And then I wanted to show the consequences of that uh, in more modern terms. So that's how the book unfolds for each one of these animals. 
And in our pre-interview little chat, you had an interesting story that came out from your research with regards to, to cats. Would you like to share that with us today? Well, absolutely, Stacey. You know, there's lots of these, these kind of interesting and fun anecdotes that uh, hinge on events that sort of change the history of these animals. One of them was the invention of kitty litter. Um, a lot of people probably take kitty litter for granted. But in the 1940s, there simply wasn't any. It hadn't been invented yet. So this man named Ed Lowe, was using this material for absorbing oil from garage floors, and he was he sold this for his father. And uh, one day, this woman came over, and she wanted to uh, use it for. She wanted to know if he had any sawdust that she could use for a cat box or sand. And he said that uh, he suggested she give this clay material a try. And voila, a whole industry was born. Uh, he drove around the Midwest delivering kitty litter to hardware stores and uh, feed stores and going to pet shows where he'd trade uh, his, his kitty litter in exchange for booth space. And uh, pretty much without Ed Lowe, I don't know if cats today would be indoor animals because, you know, without a, a bathroom <laughs> to go to, <laughs> it's not as easy to live with cats. <laughs> Right, right. And when was this? Was this in the, what, what decade was that in? Ed Lowe served in the military, and this is what he did as soon as he came home from World War II. So it was invented in the 1940s. It didn't really take hold until the 50s. Um, and by the 60s, he was a, uh, a millionaire many times over. And if you use Tidy Cat, Tidy Cat is actually the mo- modern day descendant of the original kitty litter that Ed Lowe invented. Interesting. So there's there's still it's still present. His his business still sort of pseudo lives. Absolutely. In fact, I think it's still the largest uh, kitty litter manufacturer of kitty litter in in America. Yeah. And so then another factor that you, that we were chatting about too is some interesting research that you found around millennials and their cat ownership rates. Yeah, absolutely. There's been a lot of research um, recently about uh, pet ownership trends. And one of the most salient trends is, uh, as you know, cats only recently surpassed dogs as America's most popular pet. And uh, we can largely thank the millennials for that. Uh, Cat ownership is extremely popular among them. Of course, all the cat videos online don't, don't hurt. One of the fun things is I actually got to meet some of the cats that are uh, internet sensations, but that's another story. But as as it is, millennials are adopting cats at very high rates, uh, and of course, cats suit their urban lifestyles very well. And uh, they, the cats that they adopt, tend to be ones that come from um, the streets or that, that end up in shelters. And uh, of course, that's having a huge, huge impact in a positive sense on. Uh, helping to ameliorate some of the problems associated with cats living feral existences. So it's a very positive thing. Let's make helping cats in your community easier. Join me and over 10 exceptional leaders for the first ever online cat conference. This virtual conference will be held January 26th through 28th, 2018, and will feature speakers like Brian Cordes of Neighborhood Cats, Hannah Shaw, the Kitten Lady, Katie Lisnick of the Humane Society of the United States, Nell Thompson from Getting to Zero in Australia, and many, many more. This is an affordable opportunity to learn from nationally and internationally known leaders in the field of community cat management 
and care. To find out more details, please go to www.communitycatspodcast.com and sign up today to register. Fees go up on December 1st. Let's make helping cats easier in your community. The Community Cats podcast will soon be a year old with over 200 episodes profiling amazing people who are all making a difference in the lives of community cats. If you would like to support the show, but not be a sponsor, feel free to contribute to our efforts by going to www.communitycatspodcast.com and follow the donate link. Help us to continue to provide excellent programming. Do you think that the millennials are getting at all interested or becoming strong advocates with regards to community cats, or is it just a straight sort of convenience for ownership because they like to be more mobile, they live in apartments in the cities? Is it more from a sort of an I don't know, urban planning environment, or do you think millennials will play a strong role in our community cat programs? Well, as you know, I think when people are in their 20s, their their social lives and their work lives and their overall lives don't tend to feature as much volunteerism. So it, it's very difficult for me to speak to that. Actually, you might be better suited to answer that question. But, you know, strictly from uh, the information that I had in the book, um, we we was really looking at just trends in in pet ownership rather than in the kind of volunteer activities. But, um, you know, all interest in volunteering comes from personal experience. I think people start off with uh, a personal interest or in personal experience that drives them to do one form of volunteering over another. So I, I'm hopeful, I guess, that, that this is going to result in a long-term concern for the well-being of cats, whether they belong to individuals or whether they um, are living on the streets. While you were in the process of writing this book and, you know, putting together this section on on cats without spoiling everything that's written in the book, <laughs> were there any anything, any key components or sort of like aha moments or anything that you learned, you know, from the stature of the community cat or, you know, just anything in that framework in your travels around in your RV, um, anything that, that stood out to you as a sort of an aha for the community cat? Well, yeah, I mean, honestly, there were there were a lot of them. But um, I think the most compelling was I, I probably didn't have a real positive view toward uh, toward community cats uh, before I wrote the book. I, I think my my attitude was that they're destroyers of wildlife. And, you know, I think I... I bought into that whole idea, and uh, honestly, my research really showed me that uh, trap-neuter release programs are the most effective way of controlling cat populations in the long term. And I, I, I think it goes right to the name community cats because uh, expecting animal control to go out and, and slaughter all the cats that are living in feral cat communities is... It, you know, it may seem idyllic to people who are, who are bird lovers, but the truth of the matter is it doesn't work. And my research really showed me that the whole community has to get involved in addressing these issues, and it has to be an ongoing long-term project like the Merrimack River project was. If we're really going to address these issues and, and decrease the population of animals living and suffering on the streets, you know, it's sort of the whole... It takes a village notion, uh, but it really does take a community. And that was a very compelling thing, a very a deep change of my own opinions that got me to that 
uh, to that attitude. That was significant. That's interesting. So, so I guess I would say you're a recently converted. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and one of the fun things was honestly when I introduced that whole concept, I talked about the Walt Disneyland. And in the 1950s, they had a, a bit of a feral cat situation on the newly christened Disneyland. And it was actually Walt Disney who decided that rather than uh, try to exterminate the cats, they would simply let them live on the property. And even to this day, there's a stable community of about 200 cats on the Disneyland property in Anaheim. And uh, mm. I don't know if, how much you know about that, but I found it very interesting to learn about in a, in a very compelling way to introduce the idea of trap, neuter, and release programs. No, I've heard about uh, Disney over uh, all the years, but I didn't know they had uh, 200 cats at the at, at, Anima, at Anaheim. So that's that's very very interesting. Were there any other sort of lessons learned or takeaways that that you got from the book? Well, I think most importantly was my message itself, which is it's not enough merely to take care of animals after they're born. We have to think about their circumstances before the act of breeding ever takes place. I think that's why maybe TNR was convincing to me because it doesn't deal with the cats on the ground, but also the cats that aren't on the ground yet. Of course, that's the neuter and spay portion of it. And I also think the same holds true whether you're talking about cows or whether you're talking about dogs or horses, that we really have to think about the entire life of the animal before we ever make that decision to breed. And I don't think that people shouldn't breed. We all want pets, and uh, we all uh, you know, want the products of farm animals, but I think that we need to be very conscientious in making breeding decisions and thinking about the welfare of the animals themselves. And uh, the book really talks an awful lot about that. And that's the message I really hope people take away from the book, whether your love is for cats or dogs or cows or cheese and other dairy goods <laughs> and cows too. So um, that's that's really what I hope that people gain from reading my book. So if folks are interested in uh, purchasing Leaving the Wild, The Unnatural History of Cats, uh, dogs, cats, cows, and horses, where would they purchase the book? Well, it's uh, it's available just about any of the any of the major booksellers, uh, including uh, Barnes & Noble's, um, Amazon.com is selling it. Actually, the easiest way is probably to go online and, and look for it at Amazon.com or, or any of your local bookstores. Uh, hopefully, we'll be carrying it. <laughs> And it looks like that there's a website that folks can go to if they'd like to find out more. Yeah, I, I've got a website. It's www.leavingthewild.com and uh, also a Facebook page. Um, and you can look it up under Leaving the Wild as well. That's great. So folks should definitely check you out on Facebook. They can check you out online and they can also find the book on, on the Internet. So yep. that's excellent. Gavin, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today before we wrap up? Well, um, I, I guess I just encourage people to go out and look for the book and share the ideas. And some of them, I think, are quite surprising, and some of them are certainly controversial. Uh, I don't always take the position that one might expect, and I challenge people to uh, address their own uh, prejudices and ideas and, and really consider you know, some of the things that the book has to say. That's great. Gavin, I want to thank you again for being a guest on the show. 
And um, and hopefully we'll have you on in the future when you write another another book. Well, thank you, Stacey. It's been a pleasure. It's uh, really great to take part in this program. So for the Community Cats Podcast listeners, I just want to send along a, a, a last shout out. Our online cat conference is on January 27th and 28th. So please don't miss out on this great weekend event. Um, and go to www.onlinecatconference.com, and you can check it out. Sign up for two days of fantastic workshops, and you can see them all virtually from your from your own computer at home. So thank you again, Gavin, for joining me today, and um, we'll see you in the future. Thank you for listening to a Community Cats podcast. I would really appreciate it if you would go to iTunes, leave a review of the show. It will help spread the word to help more community cats. 